0: All right, good mo- All, right. All right, good morning, everybody. This is uh, the launching of our series called Modern Day TV Preachers. What do they teach and how do we evaluate what they teach? Most people are familiar with the names of Joel Olstein and Benny Hinn, T.D. Jakes, John Hagee, Andy Womack, etc., and, and Joseph Prince, another name. These are the six individual people that we're going to be dealing with, we think they're the most popular, the most influential, and some of them have enough uh, of Bible teaching and knowledge and charisma to uh, impress most Christian people. And even some who know their Bibles might be pretty um, encouraged or blessed. And we're not saying that all of those six names that I mentioned, that they're all equally bad or that they're all equally good. I guess if I was to have a... uh, a chart here of the best to the worst, I would put Benny Hinn at the end, and I would probably put Joseph Smith up at, uh, Joseph Smith, Joseph Prince up at the beginning, and all the rest may be somewhere in between. That's my own opinion of the six names of people that we'll be dealing with. So to get this thing rolling, I'm going to ask the first question is, um, can somebody give us an idea of what is... The prosperity gospel, a common word that we hear these days, the prosperity message or the prosperity gospel. I think one of you brothers may be prepared to say something on the prosperity gospel. How could you define that for us in a brief moment or two? Uh,
1: Well, the prosperity gospel uh, trades, I think, on people's fears.
0: Some of the greatest fears that we have.
1: Is that, is that picked up? Yep. Some of the greatest fears we have, I think about death and dying and sickness and, and things like that. There are a number of things in the prosperity gospel that are characteristic of every teacher you'll see. Uh, most of all though is this promise of blessing. And the promise of blessing uh, has to do with financial things, it has to do with wealth. So you'll you'll hear it called the health. Wealth and Prosperity Gospel. I think it's best called the Health, Wealth, and Self Gospel because it's a very self-centered, crossless form of Christianity, if we have to call it something. Uh, It was basically a a heresy born in the 19th, 20th centuries uh, in a school of thought called New Thought, uh, which was a philosophy that taught that the key to health and wealth acquisition is thinking. So your thoughts, in other words, and this is going to spill over into something that I think Barry is going to cover for us, is the word faith movement. So word faith and prosperity gospel go very much together. In fact, the word faith movement probably came first and then the prosperity gospel flowed from that. The big problem with the prosperity gospel, of course, is it, in some cases, does all the right things for all the wrong reasons. And uh, as you'll see that, Over the series of lessons that we'll be doing downstairs, how that applies to the individual teachers. But the prosperity gospel is the good news, so-called, that you uh, do not have to be, uh, you do not have to give into sickness, you do not have to go into, you do not have to go into poverty, you do not have to live in these places because God has something much better for you if you are faithful. One of the founders of the movement put it this way. He said that we must avoid words and ideas that create sickness and poverty. Instead, they should repeat, God is in me, God's ability is mine, God's strength is mine, God's health is mine, his success is mine, I am a winner, I am a conqueror. Or as prosperity believers summarize it, I am blessed. So, when a prosperity gospel person talks about blessing, they're talking about an entirely different thing than biblical blessing and the blessings that God has for his people. And those blessings, again, are financial security, lack of sickness, anything that would otherwise be considered by God's people to be forms of suffering. So it, it is a, suffering may take place, but the reason for the suffering take place is for you to recognize God, who in turn then will bless you. The goal all the time is your blessing. And your blessing is not the gospel blessings. Your blessing is not reconciliation with God. Your blessing is not uh, delight and
0: joy in who he is,
1: but rather what you might get from him.
0: So, in essence, what you're saying is that this message gives people this this happy, wealthy um, attitude that hearing the message that they proclaim gives people this sort of confidence that... uh, this is a great thing for them. They can be wealthy, they can be healthy, they can be happy, and everything is sort of on the up and up. Another way that I think people have called it is uh, name it and claim it, or, or blab it and grab it is another slang expression that they use. And I think I'm going to ask them the next question in regards to this is, could somebody define what is this word faith movement that has been characteristic of a lot of the TV preachers?
2: Amen. And it's Can you hear me? It's, it's true. I think what Pat was saying is that the Word of Faith movement might actually be an application of the prosperity gospel. How does one enter into this uh, activity? How do we get what we want, so to speak? What's difficult is that as we studied Word of Faith movement and, and these false teachings, that they don't come in a, a denomination. It's not a... There's no hierarchy we can look at or headquarters. There's no statement of faith that says, you know, written down somewhere, this is the word of faith, gospel. So we, we learn from the different people through through these last gener- couple of generations what it really entails. So it could be known also as positive confession. You may have heard that term, like Gary said, name it and claim it type thing. Uh, but so the word of faith is a little more... ...of a biblical angle of it. If I could give a very simple definition, which I thought was kind of uh, neat and practical, is this. It's a worldwide Christian movement that teaches that Christians can access the power uh, of faith or fear through speech. I thought that was interesting if you could sum up what they would teach. It's a worldwide Christian movement that teaches that Christians can access the power of faith or fear... Through speech. And of course their act, their uh, uh, activity would be on, of course, faith and not fear. Or to not speak fear as Pat was mentioning about. It's talked about force of faith. Or, or the force of faith which equals the words that they use or we would use. Uh, almost sounds like a force like when you think of Star Wars uh, sometimes. But uh, these these faith words can be used to manipulate the faith force. Um is what they would say. Um, We can create what we want to have happen. We can create what we believe. Uh, Even something out of nothing, and we'll see as the teaching goes on, it starts to take on almost a a deity type uh, attitude of of ourselves being, have this power to create, even if it might mean out of nothing, something we'd, we'd want. Uh, it is, is a manipulation of this force of creation, if you will, that we can manipulate it through our words of faith, through our, through our beliefs. And from it could come manipulating uh, the, the faith of our faith using force to uh, prosper, to cover illness, business relations, even people, uh, relationships. This uh, word of faith message is usually based upon, and the whole prosperity gospel is based upon, very few real verses that are often taken out of context or, or obviously misused. Uh, for instance, uh, you have probably heard the Isaiah 53, 5, which states, By his stripes or by Christ's wounds we are healed. And they take that beyond just a salvation through faith and our sins forgiven to take it as far as to say that we are healed to the point where we then can access physical healing at any time, uh, wealth, health, and prosperity, and and, uh, cure of illnesses and disease or whatever we wish. So these things, the atonement of Christ has gone beyond what the scripture says, even to the point where God himself is subject to the laws of our faith. God has given us the power to uh, even subdue him, in a sense, if we have faith, that he will respond and correspond to our desires. Um, He abides by our creating these faith works because God intended us, their belief, is that we were intended to be little gods, that we were created in his image. And so we are like gods ourselves in the verse where Jesus is totally used in a, in a horrendous way when Jesus quoted and said, uh, arguing with the uh, his opponent, said, is it not said in Psalm 82, ye are gods, small g., And meaning, of course, judgment and rulers that men would sit in judgment over other men in Israel. They take it to mean that we are literally small gods and that God gave us the ability to act as God. And the irony uh, in concluding this definition is that the irony or or the sadness of it is that while it seems to elevate men, men, believers, Christians, what it does at the same time is takes down Christ. And that's a, a, a thing you'll see more and more, that the devilish, uh, demonic teaching these doctrines have. is it's, You'd think, well, that's good. It's lifting up our faith. But at the same time, it's talking about Jesus himself being subject to things. Not saying that he died for, our, for his sins, but that he had to die not only on the cross physically, but he had to die spiritually as well. And that Jesus literally was born again himself. It's so one, of, one of the views which carries through many of the teachers. that That's why the scripture says, they would say, he is the firstborn among all creation, that he had to be born again himself. So it gets into a lot of, well, it lifts up men, it also takes down Christ. So that's part of the beginning of the Word of Faith movement.
0: Thank you. And what you have to keep in mind is, it's called the Word Faith movement, but the word is with a small w. It's not the Word of God Faith movement It's your words, faith movement. As Barry just described, one of the verses that they would use would be, there is death and life in the power of the tongue. So if you name something by faith, in faith, that you can have... 100% expectations that you will receive it. Even if you don't get the physical evidence of it occurring, you have to believe that spiritually you have received the healing. Even though there's not the physical evidence of the healing, you need to claim it. And the deeper your faith is in what you claim is what you can expect to happen. The tricky thing about it, there are some verses, for instance, in the Bible that says, Jesus says, whatever you ask, In my name, it shall be done of my Father which is in heaven. Jesus says, if you have the faith of the seed of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be thou removed and be cast into the sea and it will be done. And verses of that sort seem to give incentive for praying in such a faithful way that you have to have the certainty that it will be accomplished because you're naming it and because you're naming the name of Jesus. But one thing I think that is lacking, and I think you alluded to this anyway, is that what we pray must be prayed with the addendum, thy will be done. Not my will, but thine be done. Because what you want may be very different than what God wants. So, oftentimes in this... Word faith movement, it's very man centered. It's me centered. It's not putting God first and say, God, whatever you want, if you want to send trials, troubles, tribulations, whatever it takes to make me more like your son or to accomplish your purposes, that's what I want. But oftentimes in this word faith movement, and it gets such a big crowd of audience of people following it, is because it gives people this. Idea that you can have all of these prosperous things in your life. You can be healthy, you can be happy, you can be wealthy, etc., etc., just by naming it. Now, what is sort of connected with this, and I think the third point that we need to bring up here, we just heard about the word faith movement. We could call it the hyper faith movement as well, but there's another one that is more recent than all of the other two that we have heard, that is still connected, and it's what is called the hyper-grace movement. And we can't emphasize grace enough. I mean, our church is called Sovereign Grace Chapel because we believe that it's all of grace, right? By faith alone, and Christ alone, and by grace alone. So we, we praise God for the matchless wonder of His grace, and we can't magnify it enough. But it can be distorted surprisingly, by ones that might want to push this to a degree beyond the biblical parameters. And I think our brother Ton may have an answer for us as to what this movement is all about.
3: You're kind of like a bad horror movie. Um, the monster motor, motor, uh, metamorphosis is into a, uh, a more ugly being, you could say. And uh, uh, what this has, it almost to a hybridization of a prosperity word faith and then a hyper grace or sometimes referred to as a modern grace movement to the degree that uh, if you listen to the majority of the TV preachers on TBN uh, I don't have some of the other channels but I've I've, Daystar, Daystar Daystar is one of them yeah Uh, I've had my fill. I'll be glad when I'm actually done with my responsibility of this. I've listened to more TV preachers than I'd like to care to for a long time. Not to say they're all bad, by the way. But the idea, though, is that they speak of this grace movement as being a grace reformation. In other words, I even have a quote for later on when my time comes to talk about Joseph Prince more specifically. They say that uh, Luther and Calvin had it right in relationship to justification, but boy, were they wrong in relationship to grace. Mm. Now, I don't know about you, but when you start throwing out uh, accusations about the foundation builders of a grace movement, and then you contradict them uh, 500 years later or more, uh, that's serious stuff. Um, let me just give to you a true definition of grace. This is from A.N. Hunter. Grace means primarily the free, forgiving love of God and Christ to sinners and the operation of that love in the lives of Christians. Now, this word operation is critical in relationship to how it is in contradistinction to the hyper-grace teachers. They would put, and I'll reread the orthodox View and this is not the only definition you would get, but from a well-respected theologian, I'll uh, read the part that is true, and then I'll read the part that would be new. Grace means primarily the free, forgiving love of God in Christ to sinners, and the finished work of sanctification. So what does that mean? This grace that they now say is a new grace reformation that the reformers missed out on is a reformation that has that teaches us that, that God's grace is effortless, an effortless spirituality. In other words, the finished work of Christ, not only finished in re- relationship to the redemption of our sin, nailing it to the cross, but also a redemption that finishes the work of sanctification. And therefore, what you only need to do and by the way, they hate the words, and these are biblical words: work, strive, obligation. Um, we can name a of them. Obedience. Obedience. That's right. Duty. Even. They hate those words. They will quickly describe them as works of the law. They will call them heresy. They were saying that you be dead. You are a dead heretic, and so on. So they believe that the atonement includes, and by the way, all three of these perspectives, prosperity, word, faith, hyper-grace, modern grace, all, all come down to the foundation of what do you believe about Christ's atonement and its efficacious nature, or what is the effect of Christ's atonement? The person that I'll be talking about uh, will be Joseph Prince, but here's another And this just will stun you, so I think you'll find it fascinatingly interesting. And by the way, there are people in this church who believe that Joseph Prince and some of the other teachers uh, are good, really great teachers. But by the way, I can fully understand that because... I've listened to well over 100 hours of just Joseph Prince himself. And unless you listen to over 100 hours, it will be difficult for you to occasionally turn on a station like TBN or Dayspring and pick up on the false teachings. But it has a great foundation, in terms of, I'm saying, terribly, that is like leaven that is seasoned within what they say throughout. And by the way, grace, from a doctrinal perspective, is everything. Everything. So this man, well, actually, here's, here's one grace teacher, a former grace teacher. He says, Grace only empowers us to do things. It never tells us, to, I'm sorry, let me reread this. Grace only empowers us to do things. It never tells us not to do things. Therefore, they treat the words of commands from Christ himself as being law. Can you imagine that? Pastor Clark Witten, a professed, professing uh, hyper-grace teacher. If you teach grace, that includes an ongoing process of sanctification. You are preaching behavior modification. You are in the sin management business. You are propagating the same murderous lie that Luther and Calvin did. Wow. So... um Right here, right now, we're talking about the general subject area of three of these uh, belief systems. Um, but I'll be doing um, Joseph Prince and the who is a hypercrazed preacher.
0: If some of us may not uh, be old enough to remember, um, we're talking about TV preachers, and you might want to ask the question, well, when did this movement of TV preachers start? Uh, back back. In my day, in the 50s and 60s, there were no TV preachers until the first one that really came on the scene, you could say, would be Billy Graham and the Billy Graham Crusades. And some of you might remember that. I would say in the late 60s and 70s, particularly in the 70s, it became very popular in the 80s. And he had crusades all over the world, various countries, third world countries. He was received very well, had a wonderful... The music ministry, great singers, uh, popular celebrities giving their testimony, some of them very powerful and real, and we praise God for that, and uh, no problem there. So we're not saying that anybody and everybody that's on the TV that's a preacher or teacher is bad. We're not trying to categorize everybody. I could name off the top of my head probably a half a dozen other very excellent preachers, gifted and knowledgeable and in really expounding the word that are TV preachers as well. So we're not trying to castigate all TV preachers. So keep that in mind. We are selective on who we have chosen to really hone in on. But on top of the Billy Graham crusade movement, if I can call it that, TV movement of preaching, it seemed to me like in the early 70s, PTL came on the scene. How many of you remember PTL? Uh, Remember what that stood for? Praise the Lord. And who started that? Jimmy and Tammy Baker, correct? Uh, They started that down, I believe it was in North Carolina. And it became more and more and more popular. And this sort of got now into the homes of people. And it became now a common expression, the word born again. Jimmy Carter, president in the 70s, used that expression describing himself. Praise God, if he was born again and is born again, hallelujah to that. And we're glad... You know, for the use of, of, of uh, the airways, TV, radio, whatever, to broadcast about Jesus. And even Paul warns us in Philippians 1.18, he says, Whether in pretense or in cru- truth, Christ is preached. Therein do I rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. Whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And he rejoiced in that. So, in spite of some of the negative things that we're going to find about these TV preachers, particular ones, we can, at the same time, think and hope that if Christ is preached, we want to rejoice in that. Yet, at the same time, we don't want to be so naive that we're going to ignore some things that we think are seriously detrimental and that do affect the core doctrine of the gospel. For instance, all of the preachers that we have are considering, if I'm not mistaken, I believe they are all Pentecostal, correct? Every one of them that we've mentioned, Joyce Myers, Benny Hinn, and so on, they are all Pentecostal. Well, that say, does, what's that?
3: You say Pentecostal, but I don't know specifically on Joseph Prince, but he's certainly charismatic.
0: Yeah, I don't, and they may not even want to use the term, because the term may... Uh, and they don't like to be labeled anything sometimes, because then that puts them in a corner, and all preachers want to say, I'm just preaching the word, I'm just preaching the word... But every preacher, every church has some distinctives about them that they need to be that needs to be known and it can be identified. But that's one thing to keep in mind that all of these preachers uh, come from a Pentecostal uh, base, if you will. So the the attraction is going to be primarily the people that are in the Pentecostal circles and then maybe some that are leaning in that direction, because everybody wants to get the most out of God that we can. I think we would all agree with that. We want to serve Him the most. We want to love Him the most. But I think in these cases, we're hearing super sensationalistic, dramatic language that is really out of bounds of the Scriptures. And those are the kinds of things we need to be aware of. If you had guys to summarize um, what they teach, uh, what would you pinpoint, uh, if you can think of something, for a sincere Bible reader who wants to really rightly divide the word of truth? One of you had said that, you know, I think Todd said, you could turn in the, on the TV and hear one of these men or women and say, wow, what a teacher. And I was listening to a false teacher the other day. I've watched two or three programs in a row, and I haven't found one thing wrong. But there are other things that I know that are drastically wrong. So in spite of the good, you have to understand some of the bad. It's just like if, if we spread a table out here of all kinds of wonderful foods for everybody and it looked all luscious and, in, and it enticed you, but we said there's one thing here, one of these plates has some poison on it. Would you take the chance of participating in that? Well, in the same way... Uh, it may be a bad illustration, but it gives you a little idea of how we have to be careful of what we take in. And one, another thing, too, I want to mention before you answer that question is, from my understanding of these six individuals, and, more, and we could broaden this out, I don't know that any of them have any real, good, solid, formal seminary education that we would consider orthodox. Now, we know that they're all non-reformed, so anyone who has a reformed bend on Scripture would obviously have difficulties with a lot of their understanding of pneumatology, that is, the Spirit of God, how the Spirit of God operates, the speaking in tongues, the baptism of the Spirit, how water baptism fits in with the baptism of the Spirit, and all these other kinds of things. But there are important critical things that I think we do have to look at that are non-negotiables, like the deity of Christ. The nature of God who exists as a trinity in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, equal in substance and in power. So these are the things that we all need to be educated about biblically. Coming to a good, sound church that teaches these things can help anybody, either listeners to this these, these messages or church folks here. It's important that we have sound doctrine so that we'll be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the slate of man and cunning craftiness whereby they lay in wait to deceive. So let me put that question out. What would you pinpoint, do you think, if you could, brothers, say something about what you think would be something that a sincere Bible reader you could pinpoint for them to be aware of?
1: Well, let me give you an example. I'll be talking about Joel Osteen next week. Joel, Ice Joel Osteen. You know Joel, does anyone not know who Joel Osteen is? Your best life, no. Yeah, that, 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 that was his big book. Uh, and the thing about Joel Osteen is he appeals to such a wide variety of people, and for a number of reasons, because uh, he's very American, and he looks like I mean, he's a very good-looking guy. He's got a beautiful smile. Uh, he dresses great. He's got nice things. I mean, he fits in so well. He has a pretty wife, too. Yes, yeah, he does have a beautiful wife. Uh, so, you know, he's, you know, he's Mr. America out there. Uh, but let me tell you something that he said, and this is what you need to be able to discern. You know people that listen to these people, whether you do or not. And some people here may listen to these people and haven't, as been said, found things yet. Uh, their great skill is the use of Scripture to promote their point of view. Joel Osteen wrote, The greatest key to living a life filled with God's blessings and favors is to keep God first place in your life. When you put God first and make it your highest priority to please Him, you can expect to have a blessed, fulfilled life. Scripture states God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Now that sounds like a use of Scripture that would promote his point of view. And, it, and he genuinely believes that. And the question is, how many of us would be able to take that verse and say, Wow, God is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. The problem is, Joel Osteen has left out the entire context and meaning, not only the book of Hebrews, but the grand narrative of Scripture. That's the main problem with all of these preachers, by the way. They have no overview of what Scripture is actually about. Ask yourself, do I know what Scripture is about? If Joel Osteen would have kept going, he would have encountered verse 13 of that same chapter. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised. Okay? It is that easy to spot uh, some of these things. So, uh, they are intent upon finding Scripture. And who doesn't want good Scripture? Which person doesn't want Scripture? God's authority to say, hey, I, I can pursue these things. I've got, God's, I've got God's smile on this. God is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. And so you take that, you put it in the context of seeking blessing and seeking. Even the reason for seeking the blessing, seeking the blesser, ultimately is to get the blessing. So that is, uh, I think, Joel Osteen's uh, main problem. And he's he's got others as well. But as Gary was saying, you you may have to listen a little bit. The thing is, you listen to someone and you like them. And then all of a sudden they say something and you don't know that it makes sense or not.
2: What about you guys? Do you have anything you want to pinpoint? Well, I I was just going to say one of the things that I see uh, is the denial of any suffering. That any any Mm. suffering that comes is from Satan. Uh, It's never God's purpose to use suffering in your life. He does not bring it. Mm. I even heard some quote, uh, one one of the uh, pastors or teachers said that anyone who teaches that God has brought suffering to your life to help you is a lie of the devil himself. Uh, so one thing that I see is the problem then without, if you don't receive blessings or prosperity, it's you're, the, you're to blame for that. In other words, three basic reasons why you don't receive the blessings or suffering comes to you. One, there's sin in your life, so you have to find that. Two, there's a generational curse, which is taught by many of these false teachers that you're almost born into this. You have a generational curse that goes on and on in generations until it's broken. And thirdly, the usual lack of faith. You don't have faith. That's why you don't receive these things. The problem I find with a lot of this teaching is it didn't come out of the blue. It, It often parallels secular thought if you go back to the turn of the century and the new thought, psychology uh, mm. we, we're not even mentioning Norman Vincent Peale positive thinking in the in the mid-1900s but way back in the 1800s mm. with technological revolutions and things like this comes new thought, Europe <laughs> all these things so they're not accidental coming along together but the problem I find biblically is that When you look at these belief systems, they're almost resembling witchcraft. And I don't mean to be all crazy emotional. I mean it truthfully, that when you look at witchcraft in scripture, it's a a mixing and a matching and a recipe type thing. And so when you see the false teachers, they develop recipes. You do this, God does that. We're making God at our disposal. We're using him as our bringer of what we, we in a sense making ourselves. what, who said that? Who said, I will be like the Most High? Who said, I will sit in the Assemblies of the North? Our enemy, our great deceiver. And guess what the teachings are all about? Us ascending up and up.
3: Yeah, I have uh, definitely words of caution. Um, If someone tells you that they regularly talk with God verbally, Mm. run as fast as you can. Um, I could go through the scriptures with you and show you the exact... Responses that uh, characters within the Bible have in relationship when the glory of God has been revealed and it's not a casualness to it. Certainly there is not. Um, scary thing about Joseph Prince, 1997, he said that his whole hyper-grace thinking, modern grace thinking, came from a vision, or I should say a word from God. He says, quote, God told me, son... You are not preaching grace. You are attempting to balance grace with law. And the moment you balance grace, you neutralize it. If you don't preach grace radically, people's lives will never be radically blessed and radically transformed. Unquote. And so, his theology started out with God speaking to him. That's a problem. Because I trust in the living, breathing word of God Amen. as my guide Amen. alone. And even if there are experiences that are unexplained, that Christians, even who I respect, and I've had Christians who I respect have told me that God had spoken to them, we also have to recognize the counterbalance to that when Ezekiel said, um, how did he go? Um, he said, I can't remember the text now, but he condemns the false preachers for giving a word of God which... Of course, Ezekiel is saying to the false preachers, "You hear nothing," quote unquote. And so is Joseph Prince hearing nothing. Um, it's hard to quantify that, isn't it? But the idea, though, is, is what is the foundation of truth and our understanding of God, and the, and it comes with uh, the fact that what does God and what has God said has always been the core belief of the church that we don't go on feelings. We don't go on uh, mystical experiences, and these things are to be avoided more than invited. Secondly, if there were someone to ask me about uh, what suggestion would I have for not falling into errors like this um, and to learn more about errors like this so I won't fall into it or be able to teach other people concerning it, uh, I would say study the atonement in and is, is the best thing any new Christian can do and restudy it any old Christian can do because there is the basis and the, the ground and foundation of our faith. And if you can't articulate the atonement, and I, I, I recognize in church there are those who are more gifted than others. I totally understand. I recognize that the Bible speaks of those who are weaker and those who are stronger in the, in the faith, those who are more spiritual and less spiritual in the faith. But strive, brothers and Christians, to know about what Jesus has accomplished on the cross. And that is the best advice I can
1: give. I just wanted to say that it, I wonder if anyone ever said to someone like of the Joseph friends, God spoke to me, he wants you to shut up. <laughs> God spoke to me, he wants you to be quiet. Mm-hmm. And the fact is that's in Scripture. The last point that I want to make about any of these, you will never see expository preaching. You will never see these preachers go through a book of the Bible. You will never see them take a verse and and work through it. You'll only see them take verses and plug them into whatever it is they're pushing and peddling that day. So be keenly aware of that as well. It just piggybacks on what you're talking about. They do not, in any way, shape, or form, give a comprehensive understanding about scriptures. What you see in this church faithfully is expository preaching. You won't get that.
0: Amen. Mm-hmm. Well, let me just close by saying next week we're going to continue this series. And the first one's going to be Joe Olstein. Pat will be taking that up. So come on downstairs at 9.30. And then each week we're going to take a different one. After him will be Joyce Myers, then John Hagee, et cetera. Et cetera. We'll do all the six of them in the upcoming six weeks. They'll all be recorded. They'll all be on our church website. But in conclusion, I just want to say this is what the Apostle Paul says. We preach not ourselves but Christ Jesus as Lord. In Colossians Paul says that in all things he must have the preeminence. Not the Jews, not Jerusalem, not the Jews going back to the land. What is the highest priority in all preaching and teaching is Christ in him crucified. So we want to exalt the name of Jesus in everything that is taught it has to be under the umbrella. As Paul says, to the, unto the glory of God by us. And that's what the, you could say the target of, of biblical preaching is that to God be the glory. And the way God gets the glory is by us magnifying His grace of what His Son has accomplished for us. He died for sinners on the cross. If people repent and believe from their heart the message of salvation, they are instantly born of the Spirit with life from above. They're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. They're as believers now in Christ entitled to take an outward profession of being water baptized. They should join themselves to a local church of believers in a formal fashion. And they should go on together in unity with brothers and sisters obeying the Word of God, reading it faithfully, praying to God, believing that God hears our prayers. Whatsoever we ask, we ask in faith. Yes, He will hear us, but He'll answer it according to His purposes, not my purposes. So we want to say, not my will, but thine be done. Look, we don't want to come across either as it's is all negative. We're not trying to paint everybody and all these men as being bad. I would love to sit down and have a cup of coffee with Joel Olstein. He seems like a pretty neat guy. I really like his personality. He seems very friendly and outgoing. I think he's a very lovely individual person and maybe a believer as well. People can get confused. I can imagine what would I be like if I had 40,000 people coming. Joel Osteen was the first one to open up Yankee Stadium in the Bronx about four or so years ago before the Yankees even played in the stadium. They had Joel Osteen. He filled the stadium up. What are people listening to? What is drawing them? Well, we can't go by the fact that big crowds go or that they're being drawn We want to have the Holy Spirit draw people to Christ, right? And come to faith in Him. And when you come to Christ and know Him, whom to know is life eternal. And what a difference that makes when Christ is living and dwelling in you. So we want to preach, like Paul says, we determine not to know anything among you except Christ and Him crucified. It says in the book of Acts 20, verse 21, how that He went about preaching and teaching. Both to the Jews and to the Gentiles, repentance towards God in faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance. Do you ever hear repentance among the. The modern TV preachers, do you ever hear them say, you must abandon your sinful ways, you must turn from your wicked ways. Do you know that you're guilty before a holy God, that you're condemned by your sins that you were born with, that you live in, and if you die in where I am, Jesus says, you cannot come. Do you ever hear the word hell in their preaching, or judgment, or the precious blood of the Lamb of God? Maybe, maybe not. But these are the things that must be magnified if we're going to hold faithful to the Word of God. We want to preach Christ, Him crucified, in that special atoning work because He says, For this cause came I unto this hour when He stretched out His hands and bore the penalty for sinners and those who repent and obey the gospel from their heart become His children. Let's close in prayer and our brother Mike will have a closing song. Heavenly Father, thank You that the truth is in Jesus. And Lord... We want to follow His footsteps. We want to be like Him. And if He suffered, we want to suffer. He was railed upon. We will be railed upon. Lord, we know that as He says, if the world hates You, You know that it hated Me before it hated You. We're not of the world. We thank You, O God, that You have called us out of the world and made us Your children by faith in Your Son. Thank You for giving us the Spirit. For without Him, Lord, we would be still in our ignorance. We would be alienated. From the life of God, we would be blind, we would be naked, we would be without hope. We thank You, O God, for Your mighty grace that sent Your Son to be the sin-bearer for us and give us life and life eternal. So, Lord, guide us as a church family. Help us to go on humbly. We pray, Lord, for men like the men and women that we have been talking about. We pray that Your truth would reach them, Lord, and there are signs sometimes at times That they are changing their views in some of the distorted views of even believing Jesus went to hell and had to be born again there. Thankfully, some of them have abandoned this teaching and they're on more solid ground. And Lord, we look to Thee for this end. We're glad whenever the name of Jesus is mentioned, we pray that He would be preached in truth as well. As we give You praise and glory, Lord, in the worthy name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.